Uh, I handed out something that's a bit mysterious and confusing. I'll try to make sense of it. It's a Bible reading plan uh, that's so simple it it, it takes explaining. <laughs> uh, I wanted some years ago. I wanted some motivation for reading the entire Bible, but I didn't want one that was time sensitive. That, that sort of said you have to do this in a year, or this is your reading for January nineteenth. Because if I missed the 19th, that would mean I'd have to read twice as much on the 20th. If I missed the 20th, oh, no, it's over. So usually by February, I tubed out on my good intentions and didn't read. So I just came up with something. All it is is a layout of the Bible, starting, as you see, at the top with Genesis and ending in the bottom right-hand corner with Revelation. Each box delineates one of the chapters, unless I miscounted, and I think this is correct, you should have 66 books of the Bible and its corresponding chapters. And uh, my suggestion to you is read the Bible wherever you want, whenever you want. Just read it. And when you read it, so as to encourage you, uh, put an X or a check mark or a color uh, code the box so that you can know, look at this, I've read Genesis 1, I've read Genesis 2. My only suggestion is if you start a book of the Bible, stay with it till you finish um, because, you know, they're books of the Bible. Nobody reads a novel from the middle on. We read the beginning, you get the setup, you read the middle, and then you move to the climax. And so many of us, I think, are ending up unintentionally mishandling Scripture because we're missing it in its context. Context is everything. So the way God saw fit to accommodate himself to our finite minds is to give us text in chapters and verses and Word order and grammar and syntax and all. You've got to study. You've got to look at the words just like you would look at anything. So if you're starting in uh, Exodus 1, then read Exodus 2 next. If you want to read two chapters on a given day, why don't you choose an Old Testament book and a corresponding uh, New Testament book if you'd like. What I like to do, there are how many Gospels in the Bible? Yeah, and what's your names? Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So what I like to do, I like to spread those out. I don't like to read the Gospels in order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I like to feed on them across the year. So if I start with Matthew, I'm not going to go right to Mark. It's just a deal. I also like to read the Psalms. Uh, let's say I finish Leviticus. Yes, it's in the book. Of the, it's in the Bible. It will not kill you. You'll be able to get a shirt that says, I survived reading Leviticus. <laughs> uh, anyway, at the end of that, I may not want to dive into Deuteronomy or something like that, so I sprinkle in a few psalms. There are 150 of them. I don't read all 150 in order. It's a genre, you know, a, a form of literature. Be, do you mind if I say I get tired of it a little bit? So I want to mix it up with something else, maybe a historical book or something. So you could just, here's the deal, no rules. This is a plan to win, not to lose. You won't get discouraged because you don't have to do anything. You read when you want, you read what you want, but here's the cool deal. Whenever you finish, it doesn't have to be done in a year, take two, why not? When you're finished, you look at it, every chapter is filled in, you read everything, then you crumble it up, throw it away, I'll give you another one, you can read it again. So you fold it, you put it in your Bible, and there you have it. So any questions about that? It's fairly, uh, it's fairly straightforward. Good. Speaking of the Bible, let's look at it. We're in Genesis, today, chapter 2, just the first three verses. <clears throat> if you're visiting with us, that's what we've been doing. We started Genesis some time ago. We started it last year. And we're continuing today, Genesis 2, just three verses. Easy to find. Here's what it says. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed 
and all their hosts. Folks, that is a summary statement of what has previously transpired. It's a summary statement. Thus, all this happened in the first six days, which we already read about. God did his creative endeavors on the first six days. What's the result? Well, the heavens and the earth were completed. See the word completed? The Hebrew word implies a little more than just finished. It's a little more like completion than, uh, a little more like perfection than completion. It means what God done did, he did really well. This is when the world, the creation order, was untainted by us. This is before we kind of messed it up. This is what God did. And what emanated from God is a flawless, incorruptible product. The heavens and the earth. Not only that, all their hosts. The word host is really a military term. Have you heard the phrase, the angelic host? Sometimes it's used in the Bible with reference to angels in sort of military formation. But that's not the sense here. The, the word hosts means a number of individual things in, in an organized fashion. Essentially, this is a reference to all the stuff contained in the heavens and the earth. God made the container of all that it contains. He made the heavens and the earth, and in it there are plants and animals and fish and birds and all that kind of stuff. Those are the hosts of the heavens and the earth. And God completed all this. So then what happened in verse 2, it says, by the seventh day, God complete. By the way, the word seven or the number seven is like an important biblical number. And uh, I am really not strong on what, what's called biblical numerology for a few reasons. One, I'm not that interested. That's bad to say, isn't it? Two, I think you can work all kinds of hocus pocus. You've got to be careful reading more into things than, than uh, the text gives rise to. On the other hand, the number seven seem, is the most oft-used number in the Bible. Uh, some people say it comes from a root word meaning perfection or completion. So it's a, it's a significant number. And for one reason, it's because God distinguished it, as you'll see here in this text. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Two times you see the phrase, which he had done, or its equivalent, depending on your translation. It's significant. This is the work which God done did. He didn't team up with anybody, no committee. This is uniquely his. The creator spoke creation into existence. He deserves credit for it. It is his unilateral activity. This is the marvel of uh, the physical universe, God and God alone, not through blood, sweat, and tears, just through raw authority and a kind heart, filled an otherwise formless and void universe so that we could be sustained in it. And then it says, he rested on the seventh day. See it there in verse 2? Uh, by the way, the phrase or the word rested, would anyone like to guess, this is a tough one, would anyone like to guess what uh, the Hebrew word underlying the word rested is? You, you know it, you'll be surprised to hear it in just a sec. What'd you say? Wait, what? No, not shalom, but thanks. That's a good one, but not shalom. But it does start with an S. Sabbath. Buddy, did you get it? Buddy. It's the word Shabbat. You've heard the word Shabbat? 
And then we go to English, transliteration, Sabbath. That's the word, underlying the word rest. It means, it means not just rest, it means cessation of labors. So on the, by the seventh day, God ceased creating new stuff. He's done. Yeah, he's done. His creative activity is done. Does that mean God's done? No, 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 no. no. Who's going to sustain what's been made? He sustains what is. He holds together. For instance, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things. Jesus. Pre-existent. And in him, all things, even the fundamental unit of life, the molecule, all things hold together. Yeah, he finished his work of creation, rested from it, but sustaining it, what's called the providential care of God. Folks, sun, rain, stuff for us to be sustained. God is still very much active in providing those for us. So he rested, again, not from fatigue, but from completion of the task. So we get the word Shabbat or Sabbath from this particular Word. Then verse 3, God blessed this seventh day. Not only that, he sanctified it. Why? Because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. So I ask you a question. Something is missing here from the seventh day that you find attached to each of the previous six days. There's a phrase that was part of the, you might say, formula associated with each of the six days of creation, but which is noticeably absent from the seventh day. Can you see what it is? It's a phrase. What would you say? And it, it is good. That's part of it. Absolutely. You're right. Something else, Tom? Greg, is that what you said? Oh, he Okay. Somebody did. Look at you guys are so gracious. You're giving credit to one another. Both Tom and Greg said... This phrase, there was evening and there was morning, that's missing, isn't it? So you've seen that before. There was evening and morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day. But it's missing. It doesn't say there was evening and morning the seventh day. Why? Some say it's, uh, it implies the eternality or the con- continuity of the Sabbath. Observance. Some say, you see, the Sabbath is to be observed in perpetuity. Forever, it does not have, as do other days, a beginning, evening, and an end, morning. It goes on forever. That's what some say. So I ask you this question. If they're right, why don't we keep the Sabbath? I mean, I was here yesterday with Ronnie and Ruth and a few other relatives and so on, but most of you were absent. Yesterday was Shabbat, was the Sabbath. That's like the fourth commandment, right? Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. No one was here. We showed up on Sunday, not Saturday. Yes, ma'am. This is an interesting point. If it goes on forever, this, ob, ob, this enjoyment of rest, then it wouldn't be confined to a day. It would be every day. You're really onto something, I think. Tom? Uh, in Exodus 20, verse 11, 
Yes, but, 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 but I don't have an answer to the question. It is in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the ten. It's commandment number four. Why are we not doing it? Yes, as Christians. Yeah, but I want to know what you have to say. Yes, what do you think? Oh, that is. Yeah. Okay, you're, we're going to talk about that, but I love your observation. I don't want to miss it. And our brother just said the commandments under the law of Moses, called the Mosaic. When you hear the word Mosaic, it means pertaining to Moses. Under the Mosaic law that was given to the Jews, folks. I don't, I don't want you to feel left out because you're in on the new covenant, which is even more better than the old covenant. But the Mosaic law was not given to Jews. It was given to the Jews. Rex? Ah. Oh, man, Rex, unbelievable. That is a, quite an insight. You know what Rex said? Uh, because of the, what the Lord has bequeathed to us in finishing the work of redemption to the extent that we are in him, we are observing Sabbath rest every day on into eternity. Do you buy that? I do. That is great. That is a great, great insight. In fact, we should develop that theme a little bit more. Can I ask you to join with me in Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews 4. So that's the New Testament. Hebrews 4. While you're turning there, if anyone could tell me who wrote it, that would be great. Paul? Okay, there we go. Church debates. That's a popular point of view. Paul? And who else? Apollos? Okay. <laughs> we don't know exactly. Uh, it doesn't matter. Hebrews 4, verse 4. Bad way to study the Bible. I'm just violating what I said. We should start in verse 1, but for the sake of time, we're going to verse 4. For he has said... Does your Bible say somewhere or in a certain place? Cool. If you have King James, it'll say in a certain place. Is this somewhere? You got New American Standard or something like that? Cool. Same thing. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Here the writer is quoting from a passage in the Old Testament, which the writer can only specify as being somewhere. Do you know where it actually comes from? See that phrase, and God rested on the seventh day? Can you give me a chapter and verse on that? We just read it. That's the point. You want to know something interesting? Do you know the Bible didn't come with chapter and verse divisions? Do you know that's not part of inspired scripture? That is a, a tremendously helpful addition that, it, that was made hundreds of years ago. And isn't it helpful so that you see what we just did? I was just able to say, hey, folks, let's all turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. It took us no time to get there. What if I had to say, hey, folks, let's go, I think it's like two-thirds of the way through the Bible somewhere. It's, a, it's like on the bottom left of the, I mean, I got a mustard stain on my page, but I don't know. See, they didn't have that. So the, even under inspiration, the writer here of Hebrews, the best he could say is, it is said somewhere. We know the somewhere to be Genesis chapter 2. Isn't that cool that we have the chapter and verse divisions? By the way, sometimes the chapter and verse divisions are not good. You should not feel obligated sometimes if you're reading a chapter of Scripture to think it doesn't automatically continue in the next one. 
It's just, it's just a human embellishment, quite a helpful one, to help us handle Scripture. But it's not, a, it's not a divinely inspired thing. Anyway, someone said somewhere this that we're reading in Genesis. God rested on the seventh day. Again, God took six days to create. He finished. He rested. He wasn't tired. He was done. He finished. His work of creation was completed, and he entered into a kind of a rest, a Shabbat that he experienced. But I think he wants us to experience the same rest. So therefore, would you skip with me to verse 9 of Hebrews 4? Bad Bible study technique. I'm skipping. Forgive me. You can read the rest on your own. Verse 9. So there remains a Shabbat or Sabbath rest for the people of God. God rested. God wants to spread the wealth. God wants the people of God to have Sabbath rest. What, however, is it that we need to rest from? Could you answer that one? Well, the next verse. The next verse? Even before looking at the next verse, what do you think we need to rest from? And you're right, Tom. From work. What kind of work? What kind of work? Like employment? What do you say? Okay, that's possible. A rest from physical labors? Sure. Yes, Katya. Yeah, and by spiritual work, what do you mean? Working for what? Justification, Greg says, of our sins. Do you agree with that? Me too, folks. We're on this mad quest to be right with God, apart from God's provision for our righteousness. That's the whole nature of human religion. Every human religion, every ism, is man's attempt to climb a ladder of goodness as sufficient to usher us into the presence of Almighty God. Every one of us is trying in some way or another, toiling so as to resolve the issue of our apartness from God. We may not explain it those ways. It may, it may be something we can consciously explain. One approach is deny even the necessity of being accountable to God. Atheism. There is no God. I've got to really work hard at that one because there's evidence all around me. Or I can redefine the nature of man. I don't have a sin nature. I just make mistakes from time to time. See, so everyone's making a quest. All religion. All moral, systems of morals and ethics. I didn't say they're bad. I'm just saying they'll fall short of, as the scripture says, the glory of, of God. Can you imagine this otherwise unapproachably holy God saying, hang in there, stop it, relax. There's a way whereby you can rest. As I finished my work in physical creation, I have provided a means by which, because of the work I finished in spiritual redemption, you can rest. Do you remember when Jesus said something like, it is finished? God rested from his marvelous work of physical creation. God rested from his marvelous work of spiritual redemption. And he invites us to enter into that Sabbath rest. So as Tom mentioned to us, verse 10 of Hebrews 4, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So as so many of you have 
identified already, better than me, we are observing the eternal Sabbath when we are resting from our our goodnesses, our good deeds, and all human effort to win God's favor. And when we are resting in the finished work of Christ, we are observing the Sabbath. The Old Testament Sabbath given to Israel was meant as a symbol of ultimate Sabbath rest, which we find in Christ Jesus. It is no longer a day. It's a life style. Therefore, it says in verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest. Isn't that ironic that we'd be exhorted essentially to work hard at resting? Isn't that that interesting? Toil, but it's true, Greg, it's true. Because of human pride. Because of human pride. So instead, no, no, work hard, be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. It's a reference to Old Testament Jews who were given good news of a place of promise and who rejected it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. You work hard. God's given good news of a place of rest and promise through the finished work of his son. Don't miss it. Work hard at entering into that rest. So folks... The Sabbath, so those today, and I get this question all the time because I'm Jewish. How come if you're Jewish you don't keep the Sabbath? And I explain, just as Rex and others did, I do. I'm kept by the Lord of the Sabbath. And, <laughs> and that's how, how we keep the Sabbath. It's not a day. And so Paul himself, at one time quite a devout uh, rabbi, made this statement. It's interesting. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He said, therefore, let no one act as your judge. In regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Those are all things that are part and parcel of the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, foods and this and that. Paul says these are important things, but no one let no one act as your judge with regard to how you approach these. Why? These are things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath is the shadow. The substance is Christ. Remember the Lord saying one time, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's gift given to us to rest. It's not meant to master us, obligate us, or burden us. It's given us as permission to rest. A slave people never got rest. Israel was in bondage for 400 plus years in Egypt. Then she's delivered. And God from Mount Sinai issued this fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God gave a a previous uh, slave people permission to rest. Are you kidding? And he's given that to us too. We were in bondage as well to sin and the necessity to deal with it. And God said, no, I give you permission to rest because my son has dealt with your sin problem. It's not a day. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. Also, as someone has mentioned, and this really offends a lot of people, but I think it's true. (laughs) Not everything in the Old Testament is given to everyone. For instance, I want to read to you Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. Exodus 31, verse 12, verse 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel. Okay? It doesn't say speak to 
others, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths. Why? For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. God said, Moses command the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. Why? It's a sign of a covenant between me and them. It's an indicator that I have distinguished them from amongst all other people groups to bring glory to my name. The Sabbath was given to Israel as a sign of being set apart under the Mosaic Covenant unto God. It was not given to the nations of the world. So for people today to insist on keeping the Sabbath, to me, makes no sense because it was never given them to begin with. Never to begin with. So uh, there was a meeting of church leaders in Acts chapter 15. And one of the issues was, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? That was the issue. The idea that God would come near and embrace Gentiles as equal citizens to Israel was overwhelming then. I'm telling you. So church leaders, all Jewish, got together to try to figure out what should we require of the Gentiles if God is having them on the same basis he has us, and that is by faith through his grace. How can we, what, we can't lay all kinds of trips on them. We can't obligate them to keep the Mosaic law since God has freed us from it. What are we going to do? So they came up with some standards by which they wanted new Gentile converts to live just so that there could be harmony between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And there were three or four things mentioned. But what's noticeable by its absence is that the early church leaders did not require Gentile believers to keep the Sabbath, as important as it is to Jews. That is not something ever required of Gentile believers. In fact, I don't think you can show me one commandment in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath. But you can show me stuff in the New Testament that suggests strongly we need to continue to observe the nine other commandments. Why not this one? Why not commandment number four? It's because commandment number four has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus, number one. Number two, it's part of the temple, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all of the stuff which are simply types or foreshadowings of ultimate fulfillment. So you still are not allowed to murder. Did you know that? It's not a good idea. And adultery, you know, uh, should not be encouraged. Uh, Thou shalt not covet is still a pretty good standard to live by. These are reflections of the moral and ethical character of God, which does not change. It's trans-temporal, trans-cultural. But the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is part of the ceremonial law of Israel. It's changed enormously. For instance... Do you go up to the temple in Jerusalem anymore to worship? No, why not? You are the temple. That's why. The Old Testament physical building is a foreshadowing of the New Testament reality, which suggests spiritually you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you can't show me, I don't think you could, in the New Testament, one commandment that suggests the Sabbath continues to be 
obligatory for believers today. Uh, and then I want to tell you something else. There are those who claim that the fourth commandment still applies today to all people groups. For instance, I, I'm, I don't mean to be critical. I just, this is an objective statement. The Seventh-day Adventists are called Seventh-day Adventists because their worship day is on the seventh day, Saturday. I don't mean this critically. I would never say anything about a people group they themselves would not say. I'm just simply telling you uh, what distinguishes Seventh-day Adventists from other groups. In fact, they believe that those who worship on other days... Um, not everybody, but many Seventh-day Adventists believe those are the ones who will have the mark of the beast on them. So that's a pretty serious uh, defamation of those who don't choose Saturday as the day of worship. But here's the deal. If you want to choose Saturday as your day of worship, which, by the way, you're free to. The day doesn't matter. If you want to do it thinking you're keeping the Sabbath, then you have to keep the Sabbath as it was intended. So I want to make a pretty dogmatic point that maybe will uh, surprise you. I don't think you could show me in the New Testament any place that suggests the Sabbath day was meant to be the day of corporate worship. I don't think you can show me that. I don't think you can show me in the Old Testament where Saturday was the day when people got together for worship. No. Uh Uh-uh. Hang in there. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. Leviticus 23, 3. Hang in there. I know this is a little radical, but uh, I, I think it's biblical. Leviticus 23, 3. For six days, work may be done. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy Convocation. Now, folks would say, Stuart, you are wrong, because that talks about a holy convocation on the seventh day. Isn't that a day of corporate worship? No. Holy convocation for whom? Hang in there. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Where? In all your dwellings. Do you know who this day was a holy convocation for? The priests. They didn't get the day off. They had to man the temple or tabernacle which preceded it. They had to offer sacrifices for human sin and all the rest. They had to minister at the temple. What did everyone else do? They had a holy convocation at home in their dwellings. They set apart the day for family worship time. They didn't get up in their Sunday or Saturday finest, wear their three-piece suit and four layers of makeup, and head out to some church 20 miles away. You know why they didn't do it? Because one of the conditions of observing the Sabbath correctly was that you couldn't travel. So those today who get up on Saturday, get in their cars, (laughs) engage electricity, travel to a place of corporate worship on Saturday thinking they're keeping the Sabbath, they're actually violating the Sabbath. It's never meant as a day of corporate worship. Do you know what the place of corporate worship was for ancient Israel? The temple or the tabernacle. Three times a year, the Jews were called to go up to the temple in Jerusalem. One is Shavuot, Pentecost. One is Sukkot, Tabernacles. 
And the third is Pesach, Passover. What they do the rest of the time? They worshiped at home. I got to tell you something, folks. <clears throat> this whole notion of I'm going to bring my kid to, to church and let them raise him or her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is unbiblical. This whole notion that I'm going to entrust my kid to the public school teacher, it's the teacher's responsibility to straighten my rotten kid out. No way. The buck stopped with you. You birthed the kid. He or she is yours. Too bad. The Old Testament model for the Sabbath is you stay home. You read the Bible. You pray. You memorize scripture. You go out and have some fun. You can go fishing. You can do whatever you want. It's a family time set apart. You cease, guys. You cease from your labors. You cease from messing around with a carburetor in your new car. Whatever the deal is. You do family stuff on this particular day. That's what the Sabbath was made for. But wait. You might say you're wrong, Stuart, because we read about synagogue assemblies in the New Testament, don't you? Synagogues. If you go to Israel, we just returned. You can go throughout the land. There are remains of synagogues. One famous one is at Capernaum, Kepharnachum, Capernaum, a temple. Uh, excuse me, the synagogue, the Lord was in that one at one time. Um, so where did the synagogues come from? They did not come from the law of Moses. They came from the Babylonian captivity. The law of Moses never, ever, ever organized the Jews into worship communities called synagogues under rabbinical authority. The whole rabbinical movement came after the Babylonian captivity when Jews were dispersed, carried out of the land, carried off into Babylon, and they started to think, oh my goodness, we're going to get assimilated. We're going to lose our sense of Jewishness. That's when the synagogue movement started. But it's not ordained by the law of Moses. There's nothing wrong with it, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying it's never been obligatory at all. The only thing the commandment commands, uh, the Sabbath commandment, is stay home and develop family relationships and raise your kids in the nurturing admonition of the Lord. You can't even, not only that, if you don't observe the Sabbath the way Moses said to do it, the penalty is death. Did you know that? So those people today who so frivolously say, no, I'm choosing Saturday, Sabbath is, if you don't do it just the way Moses said, are you willing to be killed? You know, the parallel is this. If you don't come to God through Jesus to find your rest, the penalty is death, eternal death. You see, it's the same thing. So, I, so, I, so, so my dogmatic, obnoxious point is, even those who are choosing Sabbath worship today are not doing it the way they were supposed to do it. Because by definition, you stay home. It's in your dwellings. All right, so that's a little bit of a dogmatic kind of point of... <laughs> so I'm going to ask you this question. What about Sunday? Let's move to Sunday. Is Sunday the new Sabbath? If you answered no, you're right. Be careful. Nowhere in the New Testament is Sunday ever referred to as the Sabbath. It's not. Now, did groups of believers get together on Sunday? Sure. First day of the week, we see that a lot. It's not unusual to, to see that. But even Sunday is never mandated. You must on this day have your assembly. To, could I tell you something? I don't think God cares if you worship together in a bathtub on Tuesday morning. Well, maybe bathtub. Might have overdone it. 
I think the day of worship is a function of the autonomy of the local church. If the local church decides, hey, Saturday evening is better for us, it doesn't matter because it's not a day. It's a lifestyle of worship. The scriptures say, don't forsake assembling together, Hebrews 10, right? Hang out together. That's a commandment. When? That's not commanded. The when is not the issue. So for folks to uplift Sunday as above other days is to get under the legalism of those who are uplifting Sabbath in the same way. Now, some people say we got Sunday observance from Constantine. Remember when he made uh, Christianity the religion of the empire? He commanded it. That's a good way to get converts, by the way. Believe or I shall kill you. So anyway, uh, Constantine, people say in like A.D. uh, 321, 324, somewhere in there, he mandated Sunday. But they're not right. Uh, He might have mandated it. But but Christians got together for worship on Sunday long before Constantine. We see it in 1st century, New Testament. 2nd century, we see lots of groups of Christians getting together. Why? Well, some people say the Lord was resurrected on Sunday. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Sure. For whatever reason. Now, I want to offer this explanation. You know, for Jews, our days don't start in the morning. They start sundown. They they, they start and end on sundown. (laughs) So uh, the Jewish believers in the first century would go to worship um, with, let's say, Saturday in the synagogues morning, but then later, oftentimes, Saturday evening, they would get together to worship as believers. Saturday evening after sundown turns into Sunday, because Sunday doesn't begin Sunday morning, it begins Saturday night, (laughs) sundown on Saturday. So oftentimes, the Jewish believers ended up worshiping on what we now know to be Sunday, but it wasn't actually Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It was Saturday night. And I think that's how Sunday, that's one of the ways Sunday became the day of worship. They began to find themselves not exactly comfortable in the traditional synagogue anymore and not exactly free to worship Yeshua, Jesus, and so they formed their own worship communities, not in place of the synagogue, but in addition to it. And so oftentimes... In fact, you can see this if you want to study it sometime. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 and 8 following. Troas, Paul is there. You'll see this evening stuff. It says he's preaching into the evenings. and You'll see how that goes. They got into uh, Sunday morning, but then it says the next day, which was Sunday, Paul went traveling. There's no way he would be traveling if Sunday was the designated worship day. Anyway, there's nothing wrong with meeting on Saturday. If I was in Israel and wanting to minister to people there, I would worship on Saturday, not Sunday. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, uh, Paul and the other apostles were always going into synagogues on Saturday as an evangelistic strategy. So when in Rome, I always do as the Romans do, but I would never, ever, ever legislate a day or hold another person's day of worship against uh, them. In fact, uh, Paul makes an interesting statement, Romans 14, verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Know what that means? 
The day you choose to worship on is a matter of Christian liberty. Just be convinced. Work it out for yourself. You want to worship Saturday? Fine. Just don't give me a hard time for worshiping on Sunday. Do I want to worship on Sunday? Fine. I just have no right to look down on you for worshiping on another day. That's not the point. The point is, who's the object of worship? It's the Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's a lot of complicated, uh, controversial... In the last class, the lady said, Stuart, why can't... Isn't it just a matter of just walking with Jesus and loving him? It is. Until someone looks you in the eye and says to you, you say you're people of the book and respect the Bible, but you don't honor the fourth commandment. Then you've got to come up with an answer, don't you? So some things require a little more than just saying, I just love Jesus. That's good. But sometimes you have to be a little, do a little more Bible study than, than just that. Do you have any questions about... Uh, I'd be shocked if you don't. Do you have any uh, uh, disagreements? How about That's always fun. Question is good. Whatever you'd like. Okay, so this is a great question. Let's say the, the, the work you do is to you almost not like work because you enjoy it so much, implying you'd like to do it even on your days off. I don't think that is prohibited as long as at least one time a week you're carving out time to set apart with family, those who you're close with, to worship the Lord Jesus. The, you know, we, we live, we've come through a, a day called the Sunday laws and Sabbath laws and stuff like that. Uh, some people have called Sunday the Christian Sabbath. That's not true. There's no such... The only Christian Sabbath is rest in Jesus. It's not a day. But anyway, on the so-called Christian Sabbath, they, Im, they uh, filled the day with as many directives as the rabbis have Saturday Sabbath. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. I don't think any of that is true. Look at If you want to mow the lawn on Sunday, I don't think you're violating any Sabbath, any Sabbath law, <laughs> any law whatsoever. As long as you do it after you come to church. Or before, something like that. It's, it, now, I'm not, now, can I tell you something? I don't do it. I'll tell you why. Because I want my neighbors to see something different in me on Sunday. So I, I choose not to mow the yard. Unless it's the backyard. They don't see that. <laughs> But you see, that's a matter of Christian liberty. That's not a law thing. That's an evangelistic deal. I want them somehow to get the idea. That family next door, get, we see them get up in the morning. They leave the driveway. They get in their car. They go to some church thing. Then they come back, and they're not painting the house. They're not working outside. They don't do that stuff. I want them to start thinking that we're different. But I'm not doing that because it's the Sabbath. I'm doing that as an evangelistic strategy. I want them to see a difference in our lives. The ch early church fathers um, can read about this. They took the Sabbath... And they knew, you know, they said, God's through with the Jews. It's called replacement theology. We're the new Israel now, so we'll take their Sabbath. So they started to include in the Sabbath all kinds of stuff about what you could wear, what you can't do, and all the rest. It's sheer and utter legalism. And by the way, the church is not spiritual Israel. That's a subject for another. That's taken from one verse in Galatians, which is misinterpreted. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Physical. Yeah. So, so a couple things. First of all, your thoughts are great, and you're wrestling with a good, good issue. I love the way you're wrestling with it. But are you confusing one thing? And I might not have been clear about this. It's not the Sabbath you're looking to duplicate. Therefore, it's not restricted to your dwelling. I just said that was the way the Sabbath was observed. My point is we're not under the Sabbath anymore. Therefore, you can come to church. It doesn't have to be restricted to your dwellings. You can assemble with believers on Sunday. And at some time during the week, you want to carve out time to be with the kids. And at some time, you want to make sure you provide for your legitimate needs for physical rest. And there's never a good time to do that. So you know what the Sabbath is? Uh, Sabbath. You know what resting is? It's, it's a show of utter faith in God to provide for us even though we don't kill ourselves seven days a week. It's when we say, I have so much still on my do list to do. Too bad. I'm taking time off so that I can be rested and recoup for the next week. That's a, that's a faith thing. But don't confuse the Sabbath with our assembling together. That was my point. If we're observing the Sabbath today, then you've got to do it in your dwelling. You can't travel to church, but that's the point. We're not observing the Sabbath today. The observation of the Sabbath is resting in Jesus. Yes, sir. Well, that's a great question. Our brother's referring to Sabbath rest for the land because it was an agricultural thing that God knew of so that it would produce even more. It applies to us. Sometimes less is more. If we slow down, we're actually going to be more productive. We're speaking of the Sabbath in a fairly restricted sense, namely the seventh day of the week, but there were manifold biblical Sabbaths, one of which was agricultural rest for the land. But there were many new moon Sabbaths and all the rest. We're only speaking of the, the fourth commandment Sabbath here. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's both. And this is just a great question. The commandment to let, let the land rest, is that something sort of directed to the earth or is it, is it directed to us to let it? Because God knows science. <laughs> He's like the ultimate horticulturalist. His commandment with regard to the land given to us is respect to the pattern by which he created the land. It needs time to rest. Yes, unless we toy with it. By the way, we have really messed, you know, the environment, big deal, the religion of the day, environmentalism. The number one cause of pollution is not that we're using the wrong light bulbs or something. By the way, they're outlawing the old-fashioned ones, aren't they? They're, they're gone. Is it January 1st? Uh, the, we've polluted it through our violation of God's commandments. We've polluted uh, the environment by m- mishandling it. Uh, that's, so the source of environmental pollution is our own sin. Folks, uh, I am pleased to tell you we're done. <laughs> we have to stop here. But... Um, Good and or bad news, depending on how you think. We can do more of this next week uh, if you come back uh, as the text continues. Now, I, I sort of want to apologize for something. Some of you have been lost by this discussion. Not to worry. It's not the, uh, it's not the most critical m- matter of Scripture. But you can't skip past stuff when you study Scripture. You can't uh, fluff it up. There just are huge, huge issues that I'm afraid a lot of us are in, ill-equipped to deal with so that when we go out there, we can be talked out of our faith. So, so, so sometimes we go a little, a little deeper. This today was a little, a little deep, I apologize, and maybe a little discombobulated the way I presented it. Um, it, it will not always be this way in the classes, you know, but it, but it is today. If you don't get this all figured out with regard to the Sabbath, th- then just get this. Um, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Shabbat. I will give you Sabbath rest. It's in a person. That's the main point. It's not about a day. It's not about a place. It's not about practices. It's in a person. Take a deep breath. And you say, I'm okay with the Lord Jesus. I'm okay. I can rest. And so, Lord, on that basis, we pause and we thank you. We thank you for the nature of your word, which on the one hand is clear, on the other hand is complex. So it's a fit uh, subject matter for a new believer and even for the most mature. Inexhaustible treasures in it. Thank you for revealing to us from it what you want in order for us to live. And we can live. Because you lived and died and live again. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. See you next time. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 comes next.